Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Another episode of A Little More Good. We appreciate you tuning into the show. Yes. Diener and Zach here. Hey, guys. How's everyone? Hope you're well, my friends. This week, I think I say this every week, but this was a great conversation. Well, it's true. I mean, we do say it every week, but it's it's true because we uh, are so fortunate to be able to sit down and have these incredible conversations with incredible human beings. And so when we have them and then reflect on them, we're like, that conversation yeah. was amazing. Usually, like, we record a lot here, like, at, at my house, Studio studio Dean or whatever. I don't know what yes. it's called. But, like, oftentimes, you know, we're like, oh, post-pod, hangout, whatever. And then, you know, the guest, like, heads on their way. And, like, the door closes and we turn around. I'm like, dude, that was amazing. And yeah. we're just like, we're so jazzed <laughs> up on the conversation. So it's true. It don't let it. It's not just something we say. We genuinely are like. This was a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, I was filled up by this one. I kind of feel like, do you remember those books when we were kids, like Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like these are like conversations for the uh, the Seeker's Soul or something like yes, that. You yeah. know, like they just fill you up in a way that, um, you know, those special conversations or those special moments can make you feel truly, truly alive and, and truly curious and excited about what's possible. Yes, definitely. And this one, this one definitely hit the mark in terms of, all of the all of those good feelings yes so not to like um place ourselves in in a time or space but where we live um is a traditional uh traditionally an agricultural area um the soil is is very fertile here and Mm -hmm. uh over the years a lot of that agricultural reserves turned into industrial and turned into residential and we've slowly seen our city kind of evolve away from those agricultural traditions and i would say what 100 meters 150 meters from where we're sitting right now i but a stone's throw a stone's <laughs> yeah you could probably throw a shot put to, to this farm <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe a tennis ball yeah so there's this this massive farm that um you know recently was was purchased uh, mm. by a new family and you know, we didn't know what was happening with the farm, but yeah. when we were kids, we would walk those farms, pick the blackberries, walk our dogs. It was very just like open. So um, maybe four or five months ago, we see the sign, Athiana Regenerative Farms, yes. opening soon. 
And I'm like, a regenerative farm right next to where we live? We were hyped. I was giddy with excitement. Yeah. And then when we found out our, our friend, Daniel Garfinkel, was going to be the, the lead farmer at this regenerative space, this gener- regenerative land, I just uh, couldn't believe how uh, excited I was and how lucky I, I felt to live adjacent to it. It was a slam dunk. Slam dunk. Alley-oop. Yeah. So... Uh, Spoiler, this week's uh, this week's guest is Daniel Carfinkel. Farmer Daniel. Farmer Daniel, uh, head farmer of uh, Athiana Farms, a uh, new regenerative organic practice um, farm here in Richmond, B.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great conversation about uh, his origins into farming, uh, what regenerative means, um, and just the importance of soil. Yeah, we talk about soil, we talk about different regenerative practices and how those are, you know, not only sustainable, because sustainable is like, if we sustain the current rate that we're at, that's not good. We need regenerative. So these practices that that move the needle even further in terms of what's best for the land. And I mean, we talk about it as a 30 acre, 30 acre farm here and how that is being utilized for production, a variety of different foods and cover crop and all of these practices that are really and we, we do talk about it like they're kind of like ancient and indigenous uh, mm-hmm. understandings of how to like cultivate and curate and care for the land and even you know further back and touching onto some just briefly but some like spiritual aspects of how to care for or some might say steward the gift of this earth that we get to be part of mm-hmm. and reframing you know like oh i own this land and i'm going to extract and exploit and take everything rather than like no i'm i'm stewarding this land and i i want to leave it like as good or better than when i set foot on this and i mean daniel is someone who really really embodies that desire i think to care for the land for this idea of you know belonging to it and to whom we could say it maybe belongs uh and and what's the best way that he can care and grow food and provide for his community and i mean honestly just it's hard to think off the top of my head of like someone who seems to have a bigger heart for farming, mm-hmm. for community, for just like the generosity of spirit that he embodies is, is awesome. And I know it comes through in the conversation as well. Just a few things on regenerative mindset. Um, Paul Hawken, um, just kind of thought leader in the space, owner of Erwan Foods. Uh, he's got some great quotes that I thought really resonated. And, you know, we often talk about sustainability and he pointed out that sustain sustainability means to sustain something, to maintain it, to keep things the status quo. Mm-hmm. And in our current system, like they say, what we have fifty more years of of healthy soil that will grow produce, so they'll grow fruits and vegetables and plants. So he he kind of questions that and challenges it and says, we don't want to sustain a broken yeah. system. We want to regenerate. We want to recreate. We want to rebuild. So. Um, it just kind of gave pause to, to question when something is labeled sustainable and what are we trying to sustain? So I love this idea of regenerative. Um, Paul Hawkins says, we, we get into this in the podcast, but regeneration puts life at the middle of all, uh, of all decisions, every action and every decision. It puts life at the center, at the middle of that. Yeah. And uh, he says, what happened to the land happened to the food. What happens to the food happens to the people. So taking that, that connection, taking that, that 
how we treat the land is how we treat ourselves and taking that into consideration when we look at farming practices, when we look at our relationship to farmers and land, it's, it's really a reflection of ourself. Yeah. Yes. And our, the connection is deeper than just like, Oh, we live here and we eat the food here, but like we are, we are part of it. Yes. We can't see ourselves as separate from our food systems. We can't see ourselves separate from the land that we inhabit, even though much of our modern lifestyle creates the illusion that we're separate from all of these things. We are, we are not, we are the same elements, right? From dust to dust. Yes. That's like the, that's who we are. That's what we are. And so it is, we are all, we are all connected. We are all one. Yes. Yeah. And there's a great video. Let's talk about the video before we, before we turn Yeah. Yeah. This was like, you know, pre-social media. Yeah. Hang out with my friends and watch YouTube videos. And this one's like a, gotta be 10, 10 plus years old maybe 15 years old it's how 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 wolves change rivers mm-hmm. and i believe it's in like yellowstone or yeah. something like that yeah. and anyways um wolves who were uh, you know an- ancestral species historic species that land had been you know extinct basically in that that region and the the population of deer and other grazing animals cattle um had changed the landscape just from grazing so like the 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 land was eroding the um the rivers were changing as as you know the the sides of the rivers would get give in and mm-hmm. just the whole landscapes were changing and they they re uh, introduced wolves to the landscape and because of this uh the wool the the deer and other grazing animals had to change their habits so they were grazing less by the the river, and in doing so, it allowed for uh, bushes to grow and trees to grow, and that brought uh, more. It solidified the the land by the river, so the river wasn't <clears throat> eroding as quickly. Yeah. And by bringing the trees and the bushes back, giving them capacity to grow, it brought new animals back, and that brought like it, it basically changed the whole ecosystem. Yeah, like it regenerated it regenerated back to it. how it was yes which is incredible and the actual scope and flow of the river changed by reintroducing wolves yeah. to the to the region and yeah. that blew my mind because we see like these predators sometimes they can be labeled in a dangerous or evil way but um they really are architects of um of space you yes know? and yes. they're they're uh, important piece of the bigger puzzle and you know if you take the predator out or you take the 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 food source out you know it all changes things change and not for the better yes yeah so, so go- check it out for sure yeah if you if you google uh how how wolves change rivers you'll find it there we go we can maybe link it i don't know we'll do something but check it out it's definitely worth the watch and it's it is it's fascinating and it's so important as seeing ourselves as central and connected to to all of this land but before we uh before we we roll one last thing uh daniel was so generous and brought us like literally like a 50 pound box of produce from the farm insane and uh, i've learned a couple of things recently that we've talked about dean um but i was juicing the ginger and Mm, so good the difference and that fresh ginger was unbelievable. The flavor profile, and I f- could feel like a little bit heady. Like after you have like a glass of wine, I was like, it, I was like vibrating from from the ginger. And it was very good. The quality of the produce is just next level. But I learned this interesting thing. 
Um, so, you know, when we, we pass away, right, when humans pass away, there's still our organs still have um, like an electric charge. They're still functioning for a period of time. Yeah. So you can, you know, donate your organs after you've you've passed and, and they can still live on in a way. So when you uh, pick a vegetable or a fruit, it holds an electric charge for 60 hours. So um, you're bringing a negative charge into your body. You know, you get all the nutrients of the vegetables, obviously, you know, for a longer duration, but you get this like this charge um, for 60 hours. Uh, it holds a charge after it's been picked from the from the ground. So all the more reason to buy from our farmers and connect with our farmers or, or grow produce or ourselves. That's right. Shop local. Yeah. Yeah. Take advantage of the, the neighborhood farmers markets right in your neighborhood for those things yes. that sustain us. Sust- and you know that you're getting the freshest and the best with all of the best nutrients that you need. There you go. Before uh, this episode goes, uh, a word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, our podcast partner in good times and good health, Athletic Greens. Yeah, we are big fans of Athletic Greens and specifically their product, AG1. It is a daily drink. Start my day, I wake up and that's the first thing I do before I even reach for my cell phone. I go down and I shake up my my AG1. I love it. It's just like a ritual starting my day, starting my day well with the best foot forward. Promotes gut health, supports immunity, boosts energy, helps recovery. Got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients. I kind of just feel like it's like my security blanket for for the wellness that uh, my my body needs for the day. Totally. It's like a small micro habit that has huge benefits. One little thing you can do every day to take great care of yourself. What's that saying, Dean? Like how you act today is how you act every day? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of you break it down. How you do anything is how you do everything. There we go. Yeah, so start your day with intention, with uh, some AG1, knowing that you're you're just fueling your body with something that promotes gut health, supports immunity, boosts energy, helps you with recovery, which is big for us as we're, you know, professional amateurs. Yes. <laughs> when it comes Amateur to athletes. athletes. Yeah. But we just love it. It's good for anyone and everyone from someone who just wants to feel a little bit better every day to, yeah, someone who is pursuing, you know, athletics as, as their main, their main goal. Um, athletic greens, AG one is where you want to be investing a little bit of your time, attention, and, uh, it's cost is less than $3 a day. So really it's a pretty, it's a pretty cheap habit to, to make a good dividend into your health. Um, so yeah, take, uh, take claim of your health. It's time. Don't wait. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash more good. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash more good to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So big thanks to our friends at Athletic Greens. There we go. On to this week's episode. Enjoy. The relationship and dance with nature never ceases to amaze me. It always humbles you and takes care of you. I recognize I'm a temporary steward of this land, of any land, and I want to do my part in its story. And I want my chapter to be filled with respect, patience, and learning. As a Jewish non-Indigenous person, I want my relationship with agriculture to be rooted in community, education, 
environmental and social justice activism and deep intention and care. Oof. What a quote. That's got me feeling all the good feels. Yeah. Who quoted that? Who quoted that? <laughs> we, uh, that is a beautiful quote taken from our guest today, Mr. Daniel Garfinkel. Thank you for joining us here today. Thanks, guys. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That was read beautifully. Oh, thank you. Dean, it was, in, wow. in the past or future lifetime, will read audiobooks or something. He's got the voice that uh, could put a baby to sleep, you know? Dean, I would listen to every single one. <laughs> there you go. Maybe it is. I know some people have said, you know, we love listening to the podcast because your your voice is just like so soothing. And I'm like, I don't I don't even talk that much. Like it's like it's mostly our guest. But I guess there's been a few where like I have Zach has interviewed me or it's mm. just the two of us and they're like, Yeah, we like that. But it's a good voice. I don't know. Zach, Zach, you have a great voice too. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't have the same charm as Dean's, but I'm happy with the voice that I have. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose I spent some time in front of microphones in my day. So maybe that translates through. But either way, clearly. Enough about my voice. Yes. Uh, we are so glad to be having this conversation with you, Daniel. Uh, it's cool. You're like, um, we're recording this uh, in our studio slash my house. <laughs> and we're just at, down here in this corner of Richmond, Steveson, uh, traditionally Musqueam land that we are on, unseated. Uh, the, the historic kind of feeding grounds of the people, they used it for fishing and farming and all of this. And so some of those things have continued today. Um, and this land has changed hands many times, but definitely I want to honor the fact that it is uh, the land that has belonged to them historically. Um, but we sit here as neighbors. You are taking care, <laughs> stewarding this land, uh, just not even a hundred, well, a couple hundred meters mm -hmm. uh, from where we're sitting right now. Um, a beautiful piece of farmland that has over the last number of years become increasingly more beautiful mm -hmm. as you are someone who uh, is well versed in the ways and working very hard um, in terms of making it a regenerative regenerative farm using those practices and so we're going to get into that today on the podcast but uh, first and foremost welcome and thank you so much for being here thank you guys thank you thank you thank you yeah I'm excited to dig deep. There's my farming, my dad joke farm. There's farm so many to make. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say, it's, uh, let's let's just jump into it. We can get our hands dirty here. There we go. Deep-rooted conversations. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. Somebody There's, stop <laughs> But please don't. <laughs> For all those people who aren't into farming, we're just here to plant seeds to get you into it. <laughs> okay, 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 now we can stop. I don't know. We're just going to have to keep it going, I think. <laughs> I'm keeping my mouth quiet here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not adding to this. I have too many. Okay. Uh, maybe. Okay. Puns aside, I'm sure we'll we'll circle back. We'll we'll put a pin in it and come back to the puns for later. But Daniel, when um, when I first uh, got to meet you um, many years back, now it was uh, when you were beginning your your journey as a chef in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew you as Chef Daniel, and you were doing all sorts of wizardry, wizardry and and magic uh, with what you could create in the kitchen. And I was so excited, uh, echoing Dean, when we learned about Athiana Farms, this regenerative farm that you're, you've opened just a, you know, a stone's throw away mm. from us. Um, so if we can rewind things back from today, how did you go from Chef Daniel to, to Farmer Daniel? Tell us about that, that journey and, and those origins. Well, good question. Big question. Deep question. Yes. Um, 
you know, my go-to line, not to repeat it a hundred times, but it's, it just, it escalated so quickly, um, in a funny way and in a grateful way. Um, I was into growing food before I started cooking. Um, and that happened by accident. There was a potato growing. I was blown away that it could grow more potatoes from a pantry potato. It just escalated. And so it was really just gardening. I went up to my mom and said, Hey mom, can I, um, rip up a part portion of your backyard and grow a couple of things of food. And she was like, what? You don't know what you're doing. And I said, yeah, but you love me. <laughs> so, you know, this is going to be great. It'll be pretty. Um, and I grew a lot of food that year and it was so much fun. And then I ripped up more backyard. Maybe there was less permission for that second time. And um, I got a volunteer gig at a farm in Burnaby. Um, and then I just couldn't stop. I just really couldn't stop. And then somewhere in there, I went to culinary school and Throughout my journey in culinary school, I really had my eyes open to the food industry mm. and the um, lack of seasonality to it, majority speaking here. And, you know, we're talking about food costing and food pricing in class. And we're saying, oh, we, we have to charge more for this dish right now because it has bell peppers in it and they're not in season. I remember listening to that saying, wait, why don't we just cook in season, though? This seems doesn't make sense. And so it all just kind of came back to growing food, being outside getting connected to the soil, getting connected to plants, um, eating better, feeding myself better, feeding my community. Um, I ended up in Israel farming there, studying. I figured if I can learn how to farm somewhere where there's like no water, then farming somewhere where there's lots of water, like in BC, would be easier. For some reason, that made sense to me. And uh, came back here, worked on some more farms, and uh, now we're opening up a 30-acre regenerative farm in the corner of Richmond in BC in our little corner of Steveston here yeah. and couldn't be more excited amazing really though like honestly could not be more excited yeah yeah it's really it's really cool too to see like I think there's a bit of a disconnect between maybe people who work professionally with, mm. with food in like a kitchen context of feeding people and where that food comes from Absolutely. and that that is can be you know a blanket statement for sure there are chefs and people who care very deeply about sourcing and where it comes from 100% but there can be that kind of disconnect between, you know, the food you're preparing and where it's coming from. And it can simply because of demand and this is how we've always done it. We always have this dish and it always has bell peppers. So mm -hmm. no, like we just cook it and the price Absolutely. fluctuates because of supply and demand and what's in season and what's not. But I think it's like really important to see that there's such a there's such a link between those two things, right? Mm -hmm. Feeding people and then by cooking the food, but also feeding people by growing the food. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like seamless or like this like easy transition that you made based on this curiosity that you mm -hmm. followed. Um, was there ever a moment where you kind of, uh, through culinary school or whatever it was, where you're like, okay, I'm doing this, but I now know that my focus and attention is actually here to lead you to the point to like take a flight to Israel mm -hmm. and work there? I think my mind just kept on going back to it. I wanted to go grow food. I uh, wanted to be a part of the seasonality of growing food mm. and I want to be outdoors and I found kitchen environments a little uh, intense lack of better words um, and I'm a I'm a softy and I just didn't want that yeah. though coincidentally I found farming there was some intense moments there too but um, you know what, what you were saying earlier about the how it should be a seamless connection our industrial food system has put and spent a lot of money on creating a very thick veil. Mm. So the general consumer, which I'll throw some chefs in there as well, they don't know about their food 
system. They don't know about where the food's coming from. And so I don't put any fault to anyone because there's billions of dollars spent every year in advertising. Yes. <laughs> that, so we do not know. And so it's, uh, I think for me, it was, I wanted to know. I wanted to investigate. I'm, I love learning. I love investigating. I love, you know, growing this carrot, but then understanding where the carrot seeds come from and then different seasons and different types of carrots. And I love knowing all of it. But then I love knowing how to cook it. Then I love knowing how to serve it on a plate, make it all pretty. And I don't know. Just, yeah. It's an obs- obsession. Uh. Food, it's like seed to service. You know, it's uh, at, at, at every single point, I want to know more. Mm. And it's gross how much time I spend on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not just my nine to five job. Right. It is my like full life passion. Yeah. Food. Yeah. But it's interesting that like that would be maybe seen as the exception to the norm. Someone, someone like yourself, Fully. right? And not even to the point of like you say, where you're kind of like, you know, it's consuming where this is your passion. This is what you're thinking about all the time. But even for the rest of us, like we know there's about a month, a month and a half where you can go to all the local places here in the city and get fresh blueberries mm-hmm. and local strawberries. And it's this big mad rush mm. to get all the local stuff. And it just like, you're like, oh yeah, this is what a strawberry is supposed to taste mm-hmm. like. But we can walk into any grocery store any time of the year and still get strawberries and blueberries. Totally, and, totally. But we know, like, it's so obvious they're not growing in the middle of winter and yet they're still so accessible. But mm. we never ask the question, like, is this isn't normal. Why? Like, why, why is this available? Mm. Right? And I think that bringing the, the work that you do and the conversations like this help to bring the awareness to people of, like, it's not normal. It's not normal to have strawberries in December. No. That aren't frozen from July. Totally. Right. Yeah. I know. I think you, you know, I get asked a lot what my favorite vegetable is, or my favorite fruit is, or herb is, what, what my favorite farm product is. And my answer stays the exact same. It's whatever is first of the season. Mm-hmm. So my first carrot in 2022, my first strawberry of 2022, because it's probably been many months since I've had that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I love going to restaurants. I grocery shop. I do all the normal things. I buy things out of season all the time yeah but when i get to experience that first sun gold tomato in july in the first second week oh it's a it's a holy experience because my mouth just freaks out and it's like oh wow this is what the tomatoes tasted like and i remember seeding this four months ago and have taken care of it and all that stuff so it is incredible to have that flavor kind of speak to the experience you know fully i remember going to a farmer's market as a kid with my parents and, and they got a bunch of carrots and I was hungry and I just grabbed one and I couldn't believe the flavor. I can mm. still to this day, like just thinking of it, go right back to that that wow. moment. Just experiencing the flavor of that carrot, it like blew my mind. I didn't mm. know that carrots could taste like that. Or taste that, like something. <laughs> or taste like something. And I like, as soon as I finished it, I wanted another one. I couldn't totally. believe just how, how complex and full and delicious mm. that flavor was because I only knew really like... The mini carrots that aren't even really like what are they like pencil shavings of, of carrots and is it even a carrot? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at that point I didn't know, yeah. and there was still dirt on it from from the farm, mm-hmm. which had like another flavor and texture mm-hmm. to it, and it was such a, a full sensory experience that wow. you don't necessarily have when you're, um, you know, getting something that's that's been kind of systematically cleaned in a way that a mini carrot would be in a bag at a produce store. Um, and that, you know, now I obviously work with produce all the mm. time at the juice truck, but that changed my perception of what fruits and vegetables mm. can and should be. And it's exciting. You know, it's like 
for your entire life you go you think you know what a carrot tastes like what it yeah. looks like and you, you have a you know fresh out of the ground carrot whether it be from a farmer's market or your backyard or your friend whatever you're saying oh wait what have i been eating yeah yes. like that wasn't a carrot yeah but it's like for me it's 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 all food. It's all good. Vegetables are great. Yes. You know, it's like if we have to, if it's in our budget to afford or our accessibility point to afford those little tiny carrots, eat as many of those carrots as possible. That's awesome. But if it's in your capacity or if it's in your availability to get a fresh out of the ground carrot with maybe some soil on it or try to clean it off, um, that's next level. Yeah. And the experience of it, you know, both of you have kids, like seeing a kid pull out a carrot from the ground and then eat it, it's like, it's magic. Yeah. We planted some at grandma and grandpa's house yeah. over in East Richmond and all through the summer. Okay, girls, time to go. Like, let's, you know, get them out of the house. They do our childcare for us. And always, we just got to go get a carrot or two for the ride home. And <laughs> I love that. They, and literally they would go and they pull them. Okay, which one can we pull, we pull it out? And like just dust it off. They wouldn't even mm. half the time rinse it off. Mm. They're just like dusting it off, rubbing it off on their shirt or whatever. And then crunching these carrots. And then, you know, later September rolls around back to school, put go to the grocery store, get some carrots, chop it up, put it in their mm. lunchbox, get home. They haven't eaten the carrots. Well, why don't you eat carrots? You love carrots. <laughs> They're like, those aren't the those aren't carrots. And it's like they they are. Eat them, right? Eat your food. <laughs> like, please eat your carrots. Yeah. Uh, of course the granola bar is eaten, right? Yeah, but of like course. But th- that understanding for them is like, no, it's not the same. Mm. And the experience of pulling it out, like it's just a whole new thing and flavor aside, right? Totally. I mean, Zach, what you were saying about carrots when you were a kid, it's like food equals memories. Yeah. Yes. Whether you're around a table, whether your grandma's teaching you how to cook, like my grandma, my best memory with her was like her on our kitchen table, rolling out the knish dough for a beautiful Jewish pastry. And it was like, those memories are solid in me. And so it's like your memory as a kid, like that's it. Food is memories Mm -hmm. and it's, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. Takes you to a time and place. Like it's amazing when you have a bite of something or a smell of something and it transforms you to like a memory or a place. Seriously. uh, Something special. Yeah. There, there was a chef's table I remember watching. I think it was chef's table or one of those cooking shows. Great show. Great show. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Just love watching that magic. (laughs) And, um, I can't remember the restaurant, but they basically took incredible fruits and vegetables mm. from direct from the farm. And the menu would just be like the fruits and the vegetables because yes. the flavors, they're like when the fruits and vegetables are this good, it'd be like a disservice to add anything else to it. I remember thinking about Not that. to plug him, that Chef Dan Barber yes. at uh, Blue Hill Stone Barns, his book, The Third Plate, yes. is like... It's agriculture related. Yes. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's very agriculture related, but his vision and his perspective on food, like that chef's table episode yes. was magical. I was like, yes, th- that's it though. Like yeah. you should only serve that one little tiny carrot yeah. because it's insane. It's that special. You know? So like, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, the highlighting of those local ingredients is, uh, yeah, I, I salute chefs and home cooks and enthusiasts that love local food. Very yeah. cool. Just to get some some terminology so that um, everyone can kind of see the same picture. Uh, Is this going to be a test? Yes. Do I get little prizes? Yeah. <laughs> all the prizes. All the prizes. Because all of my teachers and mentors, they're going to be listening and being like, good luck, Dan. Yeah. Right. right. I've got some definitions here that are, are loose. Um, but just for the sake of this conversation, can you can you define regenerative farming 
mm-hmm. and the regenerative mindset and how that what that means to you your your own personal definition absolutely it doesn't have to be from wikipedia yeah i'm just gonna whip out my phone right now yeah. <laughs> like, well google says um <laughs> yeah. well, i think hey, siri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. siri can you please tell me that? um regenerative agriculture regenerative regenerative farming it's kind of a mouthful um i think you ask different folks will have different answers um i think main core values of it to me are your your goal is to leave the land in better shape than when you first came there and i think that is a there's a lack of status quo that you're going for you're always wanting better soil health a more dynamic eco system uh, more biodiversity in your soil above ground you want to uh, you know work in a relationship with nature um, you want to in you at the core principles you want to you know make sure crop rotation is important cover cropping is important um, soil erosion water management there's like all these kind of points that are deeply important to taking care of your land because that's what you're doing as a farmer. You are really just, you know, supporting the land, helping it out. Um, and again, trying to leave it better than when you first came there. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be my loose definition. Throw some, um, treat people well, treat community well, uh, maybe grow for flavor as well. Um, it's kind of, for me, it's like organic, but better mm. in a sense, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So what's the importance of like, cover crop because oftentimes it seems like fields that i've seen even in in our neighborhood here Mm. they're green they've got things growing and then the season ends you see the trucks and stuff out there and people harvesting and then it's tilled and it looks nice but then there's nothing left Mm. it's just kind of like dirt that either dries out or gets soggy depending on Mm -hmm, the time of mm -hmm. year so what's the advantage to like having a cover crop or how does that work or what's the importance when it comes to regenerative agriculture Mm, cover cropping it's like my my next tattoo maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's my favorite um so cover cropping in short is the practice of intentionally planting a crop without harvesting it okay and so but what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to achieve uh, bringing nutrients into your soil. So if your cover crop, if your cover crop includes a legume, maybe a field pea, maybe a clover, vetch, that's gonna bring nitrogen and make it available into your soil. And there's little cute little nodules that show up on your roots. It's a wild thing. It's like magic. If your soil has enough n- nitrogen in it, the roots won't produce it. That's honestly magic. Um, and then all that organic matter in the plant, none of it's being harvested. It's all going to work itself back into the soil. So whether you're mowing it, whether you're you know chopping it into the soil. So I think um, different purposes, and there's you can have different blends, different uh, intentions for it. I use a fall rye a lot. Fall rye is great because it uh, it grows really quick grows quick in kind of cooler wet temperatures which is us in the fall mm-hmm. um it also smothers any weeds so for us it's a weed management tool because it lets the weeds grow a little bit and then they they die so i'm now reducing my weed seed bank in my soil um a major thing i kind of mentioned it but it's organic matter so in the farm here is our first season farming at athiana acres and our organic matter was like 0.8 percent 
which is very low. Okay. You're shooting for like six to ten percent. Let's call eight the goal. So like it's low. So that means like low soil biology, low life in your soil, less resiliency in your soil. So I was growing cover crop mixes with fetch, oats, peas, everything. And it was getting like four or five feet tall. So I'm looking at that being like, whoa, that's organic matter galore. Like I'm on a buffet here. <laughs> and so I'm just like so excited. So I went through, mowed it, it all down. It was the most satisfying thing to mow four or five feet of green oh, um, cover crop. And essentially, and another way that I will say it is green manure. So manure is obviously a very common thing in farming, but if it's green, it's plant-based. So we're trying to bring plant-based actions into our farming practices as well. And so I mowed that all in and then it regrew because I mowed it quite high. Again, to four or five feet tall, I mowed it again. So I'm just like watching, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, how many bales of hay would I have to bring in to get this much organic matter into my soil? And I'm like, oh wow, thousands, absolutely thousands. So, okay, so now I'm, I'm now creating a closed loop system of nutrition on my farm. Mm. And for me, creating a closed loop system on my 30 acre property, I do not own it, but the one that I am uh, tempor temporarily stewarding um, is my goal. How do I, because for me to bring in compost for 30 acres, a, it's going to cost me a lot of money. I'm probably trucking it from a, an organic facility in Abbotsford. It's great compost, mm -hmm. but I'm trucking it right. back and forth. And that's, I'm not talking 10 trucks. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But how am I going to spread that? So I have to now spend 20 grand on a spreader. So for me, it's, it's a financial decision, an environmental decision, a beliefs, practices decision. But I want to keep my ecosystem on this farm closed will it be perfect no is my goal perf perfection no mm. it's to let's do better let's be creative and uh yeah when i pulled away about a handful of weeks after i mowed it a bunch and there's like this like five six inch layer of organic material that's breaking down pulled it apart i see some mycelium growing i pulled it apart i count like 10 different types of critters and bugs and worms and i'm like and then it's, you know, once it touches the soil, this is like midsummer where it was dry, dry, dry. Yeah. The soil was moist. And I'm, I'm like, wow, it hadn't rained in eight weeks. And it was moist. And I'm seeing it already composting, breaking down, and it's feeding the soil. And I would never been happier. Mm. It was like the dorkiest farming moment of my life. Yeah. But I was like, whoa, like I have been farming this property for, I guess, four months at that point. And I'm thinking, wow, there's already change. Like nature wants to go back. Yes. Nature is, is craving to go back to this, I don't know, in quotes, like natural way. And humans have just gotten in the way. Mm -hmm. Respectfully, it's our fault. So if I can maybe just nudge a few things one way or the other to make nature do its thing, maybe a little quicker, maybe a little bit more efficiently, yeah. maybe in areas that I really want it to, then that's great. It's so like for next season in 2023, I cannot wait to grow in that one plot. I mean, it's a 10 acre plot. It's a large plot, but I'm like, wow, I've, I just, I'm composting on site. Yeah. I'm growing all this on site. And it was the dorkiest thing of my life. No, I cannot I, wait for it. It's amazing. I'm right there with you. Like I'm totally geeking out on it. So in, in a sense, like if, 
if I'm understanding correctly, you're growing cover crop for the purpose not of feeding people, but feeding the soil itself. Yes, that was my really long answer for what cover crop no, is. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so helpful because it show it shows the process, and and I mean we can get into we can get into the conversation of even like one of the questions I have, and and maybe now's the time mm. we get into it. But it's like, what's the difference? Or is there a difference between like what we'd say is like dirt and soil? Because mm. we often refer to those things as like the same. Mm. But I think from my very like, you know, <laughs> green, not in the sense of like I'm a farmer, but in my green, like, you know, whatever, amateur understanding of mm. what it is. Like there is a difference between like something that we would say, oh, this is the dirt. And then this mm. is like the soil. Like soil mm. is living, right? Soil should be. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely should be. And I think... A key thing is where we are treating soil like dirt mm. and that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue because soil is not dirt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I guess soil is dirt. Let's not get elitist here. You know, yeah. soil is dirt, dirt is soil, whatever. But soil on our farm, there's areas that I wouldn't necessarily be choice growing areas, our roadways, <laughs> areas that maybe some fill has been dropped 20 years ago. There's rocks or some debris in it, but there's areas where it's like, a beautiful clay loam there's potential for it it has a gorgeous topsoil like we're talking beautiful beautiful stuff and that stuff i will treat like soil like i'm a soil farmer mm -hmm. i'm not a vegetable farmer i'm not a flower farmer like i farm soil really soil farms me i it forces <laughs> me to do all the work but like i want to treat soil with the respect that it deserves because otherwise it's just a medium that holds roots you flush some uh, chemical fertilizer inside of it and it will grow some beautiful crops. Right. Most of our food in the world's grown that way. But we got to treat soil right mm -hmm. because it takes carbon out of the atmosphere. It uh, has the potential to withstand drought, uh, withstand flooding. Like it's magic. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Even like, you know, we uh, we had a pretty dry summer mm. and hot summer. So hot. And for <laughs> yeah, and for you to be able to like you say to kind of dig down and see that there's moisture in the soil, like it was it was wild. A farm, you know, whatever, a kilometer, two kilometers away that had no cover crop, like that mm. is going to be not the same situation on no, their farm. No, and that's the the thing is you have to get creative with your practices. And I think with farming we get very and I'm a culprit of this too. I'm thinking efficiency. I'm thinking production. You're like we are a for-profit business. I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie, mm -hmm. um, and I'm proud of that. I love doing business for good. How do we leverage business for good? But food's all going to cost the same thing. It just matter what is paying. Is it uh, our, is it our staff's wages? Is it the type of fertilizer we're putting in? Is it the type of practices we're trying to apply? Like, there's always going to be something that's going to pay for this food production. But for me, it's uh, you know. Can we can we give on a few things and, you know, do a season of cover cropping? Can we do a diverse crop rotation, maybe an eight-year crop rotation where I've always got one field in cover crop? So then so if you, I think like visually speaking, if I'm growing a cabbage, a nice big green cabbage, delicious, love cabbage, and I'm, I'm harvesting that. Well, that's a lot of nutrition. Where did that nutrition come from? The soil. So technically, I'm re removing that nutrition from the soil. Well, I got to put it back in. Cover cropping mm. or fertilizer. We do a, a combination of both. <laughs> Can I read this quote that I, I just thought was relevant to what you're saying? Sure. So this is from the from the good man Paul Hawken. 
And he says, what happens to the land happens to the food. What happens to the food happens to the people. Mm, powerful. Right? Yeah. There's that cycle that we're talking about. Wow. Hmm. Um, to circle back to the soil, you mentioned how, how soil captures carbon. And I think when we think about climate change, uh, we think about, you know, trees and how the trees, you know, capture carbon and give us oxygen and um there's a lot of a lot of things that the majority of people would think about before soil but can you talk about how soil sequesters carbon and how mm-hmm. um how needed this is for the environment and for the climate totally um so carbon sequestration i sometimes have a hard time saying that yeah, word it's a bit of a tongue, uh, tongue twister all this organic farming has some really complicated words to it <laughs> yeah. to it um <laughs> soil's uh, the vessel that does that, but really it's the plants that are pulling it in. And so legumes are a major player. Mm -hmm. They're taking all of that carbon, transforming it, all biology, which I know nothing about, um, works itself into the roots. The roots are making it available for plants to uptake. So it's really the plants. And so, but soil is holding it. Soil is, has the life in the soil that's kind of, Leveraging the roots, leveraging soil biology, leveraging the mycelium to all work together in a symbiotic relationship to do that. And so it's a it's a powerful tool. And, you know, on our farm this summer, we had 28 of our 30 acres in cover crop. And like that line in my head of like, well, I have 28 acres in cover crop. That's a lot of carbon. Mm -hmm. I do not know it in pounds. I do not know it number wise. But. I'm just looking at that saying, well, all of that, you know, the four or five feet of cover crop growing, that's taking carbon out of the atmosphere. Maybe, I don't know, the air was fresher in southwest Richmond this year. I felt something. Yeah, thank you. I I should put that on a brochure (laughs) somewhere, fresh air. Um, So, yeah, so essentially soil is a key component of it. Um, The plants being grown, the trees being grown. Um, are doing uh, the work as well. So it's a symbiotic, cohesive relationship. And again, it's just a dance of who's doing what when. Mm. Staying on the soil for a second and and kind of going back to these childhood memories Mm. again. So my mom, grateful for my mom, like she always had a green thumb. We were always, you know, the garden was always a big Mm. part of our our household. It always felt magical and and special. And part of that was we had one of those backyard composters. Mm. And similar to how you're talking about things, like it almost felt like, like a witch's cauldron or something. Like I was so excited <laughs> to take like the food scraps yeah. after dinner and like throw them into the compost. Totally. And it got to the point where I was like trying to like collect food. Like I would go see like leaves or someone else's lunch or whatever. I'd be like, <laughs> hey, compost, that would be great in my compost. And I got like obsessed with like feeding wow. the compost. So when I think about like how do you build good soil, like I was, I was always trying to add things like more nitrates or more worms mm-hmm. or or more you know different materials to create mm. this rich soil. And I always remember like once you know spring or summer hit, like opening that up and pulling the bottom out, and just being amazed that all these things turned into this like rich, dark, you know, full smelling, full bodied soil. Mm. So can you can you talk about how to build good soil? Oh, big question. That one's big. Um, I think let's focus it on a few key steps here. I think um, soil hates to be it. 
if you leave soil bare, mm-hmm. weeds will grow so it get, is covered. Right. So mm-hmm. keep your soil covered, whether it is leaves, whether it's hay, whether it's torn up newspaper, whether it's whatever organic material you have, use that. Soil wants to be covered because if it's not covered, that top inch of the soil, two inches, uh, there's not going to be a lot of life there. Uh, it's going to be a little too hot. It's going to be, you know, too bright. So the more you cover your soil, the more life that's going to be brought up to the surface. So step one, cover soil as much as you can. Be good, not perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think uh, soil needs food. And I think like you said about compost, it needs food. And uh whether it whether you're scraping in leaves so it composts on site, whether you're buying compost, whether you're making your own compost, it needs some food because you're trying to grow something, hopefully, and it needs to be uh, well fed. And so I think scratching in good compost, uh, working good 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 compost, maybe a nice complete organic soil amendment. Um, quick plug on amendments versus fertilizer. Mm. Think of fertilizer as like I'm going to make a sports analogy. I don't play sports. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, you're <laughs> mid-game. You need a yeah. Powerade or you need a juice truck juice. <laughs> yeah, I like this. I like this. Um, and you need a really quick hit of something. That is a fertilizer. Mm. So it's going to work quicker, more intense. It's going to be a little bit like we need this now. Soil amendment, you're working to like change the biology of your soil. And that is going to be probably something slower release something that's not going to hit as quick, as hard. Um, and you're looking just to overall change the soil, the nature of your soil, the soil nutrition chart. So we don't really use a lot of soil fertilizers much, maybe some liquid stuff here and there. We only use certified or organic stuff, um, but we use a lot of amenders because mm. we want to change the soil biology. We want to work with the soil, feed the soil, <laughs> if you will. So mm. again, cover your stuff, get, make sure it's nice and fed. Um, soil is going to be like a human. It doesn't want too much water. It doesn't want no water. It probably, would you want a fire hose sprayed at you? Probably not. So maybe a nice gentle sprinkle would be best. You know, like treat a soil like a human would. Maybe um, don't overcrowd it with plants. Give it space to grow. It's just, I think there's a lot of basic principles. I think people think growing food, taking care of soil is really hard. It's not. Just kind of observe watch it Mm. treat it like how you would a friend that you hopefully like and you know uh maybe if it's if it's winter coming up give it some more mulch maybe in the spring when it needs to be heated up more maybe pull the mulch aside like i think there's a lot of uh common sense that is can be applied there Mm. so yeah cover it feed it water it well I love I love nice. that. I love I love that um treat it like you would your friend almost because <laughs> I think it can be intimidating to try to, you know, farm something or grow something, mm. but if you listen to your intuition and your um your your value system of hopefully totally. doing good, then um you can grow something with that. Exactly. And you know, there's a reason why our kitchen is not next to our bed. We have to get up to go and eat. Well, with, you know, watering plants, make the roots fight. You know, you, you, you don't want to constantly water right where the plant stock is because why would the roots grow? 
Mm. Roots are going to get lazy. So it's like, well, maybe uh, water it a little bit, then soak it so the roots can really, really stretch. Maybe wait a couple of days. Make those roots fight. Again, it's like a human. Yeah. Yeah. Building some resilience. Totally. Yeah. Resiliency is key. Mm. That's so good. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning so much. I know. Like, okay. I know. So now, how do I take this? Get some land and become a farmer. I know. <laughs> That's we're the just goal. gonna. This is. This might be the last this podcast because we're gonna go volunteer in Daniel's farm. I'm so great. sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so great. You two are welcome to come pick weeds. Okay. There's so many. I'll pay you in weeds. All right. It'll be great. Take a whole bag home. Yeah. <laughs> look, honey. <laughs> look, look what I got. Wait, none of those are edible. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. It's so, so interesting too. Uh, just a, an observation like the talking about soil and how, you know, treating it well and in order to know like how to treat it well, there's this connection that you have to make. Like you have mm. to observe, as you said, like, look at it, pay attention. Like what, what might it want? Like there's, there's uh, knowing there's like intuiting, there's observing. And at the heart of all of that, there's connection. Mm. Like there is a connection to the land to know, okay, it's getting colder, it's getting wetter, it's getting drier, like what might need to be done? And of course, we can Google it, we can search out other farmers around us and ask what they're doing. But ultimately, you know, if you're trying to do something different or in a way that is more honoring and caring to to the land and, you know, the the people and critters that share it, like you're wanting to invest in the health of that place. And mm. I think that that's like a really, to me, it almost seems like, yeah, like obviously. Mm. But the thing about regenerative agriculture is like, it's not ubiquitous. Like it's not everybody, not everybody's doing it. Mm. And like, I'm curious, is it like, what, like why? If it's, if it is the better way, why are people not planting cover crops or why would people choose to use the liquid fertilizer like all the time over let's let's do cover crop and let's feed our soil and is it simply economic and i mean i know that everybody's going to have different reasons and Mm. you can't possibly know them all but in your experience like why are people not doing it this way (laughs) cheaper and easier not to it's cheaper easier and quicker okay so I mean, let's call it capitalism. Mm. Let's call it colonialism. You know, like, can you use those two words to describe all all of that? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, agriculture is a colonial act. Mm. Um, Straight rows, prepping fields in large scale, monocropping. It's, you know, that is a colonial act. Mm -hmm. And so you know, sprinkle some capitalism onto there, you have the conventional farming game. You have what we know as farming. And so I think what we're trying to do is, and I'm going to kind of shoot myself in the foot here, but we're trying to take age-old indigenous techniques of ways of thinking, um, paint them a nice picture around them, call them a catchy word, and put them into a framework that makes sense for us in agriculture. And I don't think it's a it's not a great thing to swallow and accept, Mm. but it's really, and I think for me of how I sleep at night is saying, I want to feed my community. I want to feed the community of Richmond, Vancouver, my family, my friends. I want to feed you too. You know, I will, I want to feed people. Mm -hmm. Um, How do I do that in the best way possible? How do I also feed my soil? How do I do this in a non exploitive way? How do I, 
you know, treat my staff the best that I can? How do I build relationships around this farm? And so I'm not the only one doing this, not even close. I did not invent any of this. I'm doing nothing in the schema in the world of regenerative organic agriculture. I'm number, you know, nine million and whatever. Um, (laughs) And it's really just, it's a, maybe it's a complacency thing, but it's like, I want to do better. You know, I drive by those same fields that you said earlier and I'm looking at them. They look crisp, clean and organized right now. Yeah. And they're fully exposed to the massive rainfall that's happening right now. That's soil erosion. That's washing away key nitrogen for next year's crops. They're going to have to dump more on it this year. But I also see they're trying to feed their families, mm-hmm. that they're putting food in grocery stores. So do I think that any farming is bad? No. Do I think that there's maybe different ways to farm? Yeah. Mm. Um, do I think that, um, do I agree with every practice from every farmer? Definitely not. I can support someone yet not agree with, with, with them. Um, it's a, it's a complex topic, yeah. you know, and it's, I think it, it gets extra sensitive because food is such a sensitive topic. hundred percent. And it's such a hard hitting, just like highly sensitive topic. For everyone, different parts of the world, it means different things, especially agriculture-based communities, which, uh, unpopular opinion, that is Richmond. Um, and yeah, farming. I, I mean, there's so many movements in Richmond to protect Richmond farmland because people are connected. Yeah, People have memories of going to get strawberries and blueberries, and they don't want to see that lost. Mm-hmm. And so farming is complicated. Food's complicated totally well it's so i would say like even even beyond just like important or whatever like it's sacred it's something that is so sacred to all of us regardless of belief tradition practice whatever like there is something sacred about sharing a meal preparing a meal right we all know it we love it whether we would use that word or not (laughs) like i would say that that's what it is and it is it's fascinating to me like you know if and i i would agree with you that the reason is primarily colonial capitalistic let's more with less and how do we maximize profit on Mm. this parcel of land and and extract totally but i would be really interested to know like it can't in the long run like it can't be more cost effective to do it that way because Mm. even just the example you used right like the farms down the road from yours even without whatever casting shade on those farmers i don't Mm -hmm. know who they are and what their practices but like nice guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) but saying so they're they're field right now is getting saturated by this rain and Mm -hmm. soil loss erosion losing nutrients and 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 having to dump more of that back in like over time that is it's got to end up costing more and doing more damage or just you're you're constantly trying to extract Mm. more with less and then so pumping adding more chemicals and to me it might seem like in the short term yeah like super effective and we can be really profitable season over season but then eventually like I don't know. It just seems like it's not going to be worth it, but they've been doing it. It's been happening for years and years and years. So we're really industrial agriculture has happened since the industrial revolution. Right. So it really hasn't been happening for that long. And that's the thing is like our like long term and quotes thinking of it. It's still pretty short term. Yes. And we haven't even reached that in quotes, long term thinking of it because we're still in that short term game. And I think for a lot of these Farmers, they're thinking, how many crops can I get into this field in one season? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm not going to have time to put cover crops in because I need a certain amount of heat. And so 
cover crop is not an option for me. And don't get me wrong, in some of my in some of my field blocks, I didn't have time. So they are I mowed down all of my crop material. That's covering my soil for the winter. I'm a happy camper. Did not have time. Well, the snow geese. Uh, we have a migratory bird population in the manys, <laughs> and they're going to come down. And uh, that thousand dollars of cover crop seed I just put down—that's delicious, very available food. Mm. And so there's all these, you know, I think logistical points. Um, but really, it's you ask that person who's doing whatever farming practices, and they are saying, "Listen, Dean, I have a family to feed. Sorry, bud, I—I yeah. I, I have a business to." run i've got 35 employees i've got one employee uh that's my focus yeah and i've i love talking with farmers on my days off i go visit other farms on my vacations i go to farmers markets like it's sick but um (laughs) but it's like you're dealing with people who are doing the best that they can yeah and that's the for me at least that's where i'm really on a day-to-day basis quite conflicted because i'm thinking like no, <laughs> save the planet. Let's mm-hmm. all become organic, regenerative farmers, you know, plant cover crops. And on the other hand, I'm saying, yeah, I get it. I'm also trying to pay my bills too. Totally. Yeah. So, so when we think of the history of farming, if we think pre-colonial or pre-industrialization, mm. if we think about indigenous practices here in Canada or really anywhere in the mm. world, um, when I think about those indigenous practices and, and what I've seen and learned, almost all of them were a sense of regenerative practice, mm. a connection to, to nature, uh, to putting life at the middle of, of the decision-making. Um, I even remember watching like David Suzuki's film of like how um, some of the Canadian people, uh, the indigenous people of Canada, can't remember which tribe, but how they would cultivate oysters by creating oyster beds, knowing mm. that they would like regenerate, you know, cool. year over year. So, like how do we how do we we've lost some of that truth and some of that connection through industrialization, colonialism, capitalism? Um, how do is it just a matter of education? Is it a matter of looking to indigenous people around the world? Like what is the what is the best way to reconnect to the power of of soil and farm? Oh, um, learning, mm-hmm. listening. Um. Yeah. Period. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, perfect. You know, and like I think, I encourage people to try to grow their own food, mm-hmm. and you know, I think this past summer someone's like, "Oh, that Daniel, that's the best tomato I've ever had. You're so good at growing tomatoes." <laughs> and I said, "Cool. Do you know why? Well, thank you so much. That's really kind <laughs> of you. But also, do you know why?" And they and like I wasn't being facetious here. I was just being a little cheeky. And they was like, no. I said, because I've failed at growing tomatoes so many times. So I know like 90 ways to never grow one. And then by then, by kind of like process of elimination, I can grow one really, really good one. Maybe once every couple of years. But I think like our desire to always succeed mm-hmm. is going to get in the way of us learning. Mm-hmm. And I think um, our lack of uh, kind of holistic observation skills. I think we do need to put more food systems in the hands of indigenous communities, um, you know, not extract more uh, than we are allowed to. And I think that's the root of it is soil is kind of like a bank of uh, food and knowledge and nutrition. And 
we can't extract all of it. We need to leave some. You know, like when I was harvesting radicchio and uh, romaine lettuce for you guys like an hour and a half ago, I was doing all of my cleaning of that crop in the field. So like any of the leaves are going to stay there. They're going to go back in into it. And so I think uh, be open to learning, being open to completely different ways of thinking, leaning on indigenous folks to guide food systems, food food security, food sovereignty, um, and realizing that the ways that we know, the ways that we have been brought up on are probably really incorrect. Mm. They're probably, you know, uh, based in land and resource extraction. They're probably based in um, slavery. Uh, They're based in a lot of methods that, again, have this beautiful veil in front of it that's really the little, um, you know, red barn on the milk carton vibe. Um, It's probably not that. Mm. So just like learn, be open to failure, learn, learn, learn. Maybe do some more practicing and then just learn some more. And like I'd say, a, a healthy dose of humility too, right? To say, oh, God. oh man, the way that I thought it was, wasn't, not only was it not maybe the best practice, but it could have actually been harmful. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, if I bring my tractor onto my field when it's too wet, I'm doing like years of soil compaction. And so like I need to be hyper aware saying, I cannot bring this multi-thousand pound piece of machinery on this land or I will compact the heck out of it. And so like that could be dangerous. Mm. You know, if uh, I mess up our drainage plan, if I run too much water, that's dangerous and that's going to cause damage for years. If I leave my soil exposed, like that's all going to, it's bigger than me. And I think the humility aspect is my favorite because, you know, whenever I get an ounce of cocky at the farm, Within like an hour, I will like slip on a, a wet thing or like <laughs> I'll like, you know, mess. I'll, I'll just fail at something. And it's uh, I always am, am like, oh, damn it. <laughs> that farm. <laughs> you got me this time. <laughs> got my number. I am so sorry. <laughs> well, you're such a partner with nature, yeah. with the elements, with the sun and the rain, totally. and the snow and the wind and all these things that, um, you know, there's no... There's no perfection other than what nature no. provides you, you know? Mm. Totally. And, you know, if if I'm growing a crop and, you know, 5% of it gets eaten by birds, well, okay, we're in a partnership. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, your nature is letting me be on this farm, mm-hmm. grow this food. Okay, well, I'm going to give a couple things back, you know, and I'm going to maybe plan for that next year. And I always do. And I always lose crops to different pests. And that's great. Whatever. I don't care. I'm not. Perfection is never the goal. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But that's the thing is like there, the, the paradox perhaps is that the perfection of nature is that it's imperfect. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> we, we are signing off. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to go, we're, we're, we're going to go plant some cover ground. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's the thing, right? Grocery stores, all the carrots have to be straight. The cucumbers have to be straight. The apples have to be the right size. So they're not too big or too small. And that's just not what you see when you go out into the nature, like into no. the actual real world. No. You pull carrots and some of them are double carrots and mm-hmm. they're all weird and crooked and they taste amazing. And nobody cares if a carrot is straight or not. It's, is it good? Is it healthy? Is it feeding me? Is it feeding my family? Awesome. And yet colonialism, industrialism, capitalism says this is what a carrot should look like. Totally. Therefore, 
these are the ones that we're going to prioritize. And these are the images, the ideas that we're going to put in people's heads of this is what it is. Mm. And in, it's uniform. And it's perfect. And like when we open our eyes and look outside, like that's not, or just confront ourselves. The perfection is that we are imperfect. Absolutely. That's how it should be. Well, and that's the, you know, it's funny, this idea of perfection goes back into so many ways because, you know, maybe in a industrial system, the machine that harvests those carrots, they need to be perfect. So it's like, okay, now our machines are being designed in a perfectionistic way. And then the seeds that are being bred for those carrots, they're not being bred for flavor. They're not being bred for taste, cookability, sugar content. They're being bred for uniformity and how strong their tops are. Mm. So if growers can grab them and pull them out of the field, they're, they are being bred for storability. Um, so they're being bred from the root of it, literally. Uh, oh God, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> Another dad we joke. I'm not even a dad. <laughs> for those of you keeping score at home. <laughs> a little like dad horn or something. Like that. <laughs> no, but it is all uniformity and perfection thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, how are they going to look? And I'm a culprit. You know, I know just some of the chefs that I sell to, I want to make sure that it looks gorgeous and perfect. Mm-hmm. The stuff I take home is like the ugliest food <laughs> in the world. Does it taste the exact same? Yeah. But the ugly food movement over the last handful of years, decade, it's fantastic. Yeah. But the amount of food that we throw out is wild. I think in the States, I think the, the food waste from fields is like 40%. Wow. And it's like... That's a mind-blowing number. 40% of food in the States is trashed. And it's like, wait, what? How many of those carrots are twisted? Yeah. And taste the exact same. Considering that a lot of people here in Canada as well, but certainly in the United States, the food insecurity is huge. And especially with fresh produce. So if you think 40% of that could go to feed people who would happily take a crooked carrot or a weird little double carrot, Mm. Which is fun because you can post on Instagram, it looks like legs or something, right? Obviously, we all do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like that could go so far in yeah. feeding people who, in other ways, maybe wouldn't have that same availability or accessibility to Absolutely. that kind of food. That's food wild. relocation, food redistribution. But I think also, though, really, like, why is that happening? It's happening because we are trained that it's an elitist thing that, like, the higher-end restaurants, the people who can afford more, the Whole Foods. I still love Whole Foods. I shop there. Um, they need that perfect carrot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all of that needs the perfection, which tr- trickles down to saying, "Well, now we are considering those twisted carrots seconds." And yeah, mm-hmm. it's frustrating. Yeah, but it's uh, yet I perpetuate it. How do you re-educate that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when it's a whole system, it can feel insurmountable. Absolutely. But, you know, now, you know, I was running a seven acre farm before this 30 acre one. Um, and it was a farm school um, and I would be training folks how to be organic farmers. So I'm teaching them saying, hey, by the way, those twisted carrots taste the exact same, if not better, because they look funnier. But I'm now running a 30 acre farm that's a production farm selling to restaurants, consumers. And I'm now having to say, wait a minute, I actually have some authority here i actually have some responsibility actually what is my role like yes this is bigger than me this is a systemic issue in north american culture that's big i'm small 
that doesn't mean that I'm useless. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think, what can I do in my life, in this farm, in this uh, corner of the world to make change? Well, I think one thing is let's combat food waste. Let's try to re-educate, like guerrilla education. You two want to volunteer? Come out to the farms. I'm going to show you what twisted carrots look like. And they're just as good. And you're going to take home a bunch and cook them. Now you're only going to ask for those ones because mm-hmm. your kids are going to only want those. There's a, a plan here. Yes. I you know, it. so I think it's, uh, let's take ownership. Let's take responsibility. Let's put it to action and uh, support Twisted Carrots. I love it. Sounds like a... You know who loves Twisted Carrots? I don't know. It sounds like a rock band or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, our juicers and our smoothies and our blenders, they all love the Twisted yeah, Carrots and stuff Exactly. Because, you know... Once it comes out as a juice, nobody knows. Yeah. And the person juicing it enjoys the experience more. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I'm so, sure. Yeah, for sure. Look at this weird carrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, maybe on that point, I have a question because we're talking about like let's and, and you touched on it. Like we're gonna we're gonna have seeds that grow like nice, full, mm. big, straight carrots. Can we talk about GMOs? Are these good? Mm. Are these bad? We hear all kinds of stuff about GMOs. What's in your opinion like? I've heard farmers argue in favor because, yes, we can have genetically modified mm. crops that are better and more resistant, da, 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 and other people say, like, hell no, GMO. Mm. So is there a middle ground? What do you, what's your stance on it? I'm really curious. Um, maybe I'll do a throwback to definition game. Yes. Genetically modified organism. So I think they've been classified as the devil. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Um, do some of the crops that I grow are GMO because they've been bred for disease resistance? Well, that's really important because if that's bred for disease resistant, let's say it's resistant to club root, which is a fungal disease that messes up the roots of brassica plants. It's bad. It stays in your soil for like 40 years. Very common in Southwest Richmond. Mm. Um, it's something I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I now have a broccoli plant that has been bred to be club root resistant. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be the most resistant out of them. Well, that now means that I don't have to spray a harsh chemical to combat club root, which I wouldn't for the record. Yes. I would just preferably do, but then I wouldn't be able to grow broccoli mm. because it's, the disease is too bad in my fields, blah, 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 blah. So I think, uh, time and place. Um, I think GMOs that are bred to work in unison with certain chemicals like Roundup, um, that's brutal because you're breeding a crop. I mean, really, it's the same companies that own the GMO company that run Roundup. And so there it's a it's kind of a scam. It's like a, yeah. the perfect storm. Right. You know, you know? and so uh, I think in a lot of cases, GMOs do absolutely mean that they're probably going to have to work in unison with a chemical right. to work really well. Uh, mostly in the industrial system, we don't love that. Um, do I believe in putting copyrights on seed genes and farmers in the States getting sued because the wind blew a, a crop over? I think that's wildly in, inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, do I believe in club root resistant broccoli so I don't have to spray chemicals in my field? Yeah, those are great. Right. You know, there's one type of uh, turnip. It's a very popular turnip. I'm not going to mention it. No names mentioned. Um, that is a GMO crop. It is uh, bred in a lab. It is great. Restaurants love it. It grows beautifully. But 
uh, you know, the disease resistant package is pretty bad, but it grows very uniform. It's super sweet. It's delicious. So I think it's a, it's a toss up. There's some nuance to it. There is. There's so much. And I I think that's agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I first started learning about it, it was GMOs were almost synonymous with like Monsanto and Roundup. And I think they definitely are in a lot of cases. Right. But there are some examples where it, it can it can prevent extra chemicals going into the soil, which totally. then it's like, let's be pro with, with GMO. great with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. That's that's helpful. That clarifies for me at least, or brings some more understanding to that because mm-hmm. it's, it's often we want it, we want to either demonize it or celebrate mm-hmm. it and to know nuance. Surprise, surprise. Nuance. So back to soil because we just love talking about soil here. One, one term that I've seen a bunch is that we've lost one third of Earth's topsoil. Mm. And just reading that on a surface level, topsoil, <laughs> surface level. <laughs> well, well. Point, point Zach. <laughs> uh, so reading that we lost one third of the Earth's topsoil, can you break that down? Can you explain that, what that means mm. for, for the world, for, for us? Um, because it, it can feel a little bit uh, ambiguous if you don't understand the importance of soil. Mm-hmm. So the topsoil is, and like I said earlier with you know mulching, covering your soil up, uh, that topsoil is where all your life is. I think, don't quote me on this anyone, but I think the top eight inches is considered topsoil. And so that's a lot of life inside there, and that's where all the worms hang out, all, like the majority of your biology is. So topsoil is really important, and I'm going to throw a random number out there, but it takes thousands of years to gain one inch of that. So it's, you can't create it overnight. It's, uh, it's, uh, it is it. Topsoil is life. So I'm going to talk about two components here. One of them is farmland is pretty finite. You can't really create farmland. Either, either, you know, if you uh, uh, clear cut a forest, the soil actually doesn't have that much life inside of it. There's a lot of mycelium growing, but really it's like not like that isn't the best growing uh, medium for carrots. We're just going to use carrots as our example. Yes. Um, and that's not the best. It, it needs a lot of uh, amendments, a lot of work, a lot of time to become soil that is good for carrots. Um, so farmland's finite. Through many different reasons, uh, you know, overpopulation, development, etc., we are losing farmland internationally in the world at a very quick rate. So I'm going to say a third of that topsoil being lost. Definitely, that's a great reason why um, we got to save farmland, keep it in. Got to keep farmland farming. Um, the other reason is excessive tillage. So tillage is essentially ensuring that your soil is a really nice, beautiful, we call it chocolate cake consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, if you kind of imagine a big piece of land dry, that's one big chunk. Well, tilling it's putting it into like a quadrillion little tiny chunks to make sure roots, your carrot root, can go nice down and deep. But if you're over tilling, excessive tillage, if you're tilling when it's too dry out, if you're tilling to maybe kill weeds, if you're tilling to, um, you know, mix in crops, uh, crop residue, uh, again, if you're excessively tilling, those are dust bowls. So for us on our farm, I had to disc our fields to get a cover crop in, but it was midsummer. So in the mornings, we have dew. 
There's a little bit of it. So I did like the majority of my disking, which disking is like I'm dragging a massive 7,500 pound piece of metal behind me with 24 inch discs on it. So it, it only goes in about four inches deep, but it means I don't have to use my tiller, which is like pretty intense on the, so that's like a really kind, gentle till. But I would do it like at 3.30 in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. So I had some dew to keep that dust down. Don't get me wrong, I don't, like washing my tractor isn't my favorite activity. That dust makes my tractor dirty. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because the clouds of dust behind me has topsoil going. Mm. And I'm never getting that back. And so, and I say never by in my lifetime, in my in my nephew's lifetime and his kids, you know, like that is, uh, that's going to take thousands of years. So it's the excessive tillage point that's really going to get you. That's what's going to be a made, and we call it the in the states the dust bowl. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's because it gets really dusty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because there's no cover crop. There's a, you know, cover crop again it protects your soil. The roots of those crop hold in the soil, protects from erosion. Uh, erosion happens with wind, with water. You see dusty fields. It's not a good day. Does it happen? Yes. Do, does it happen to me? Yeah. You're on a timeline. We have a wet winter. I can't grow year round. So I got to sometimes make it happen. Do I drive slower to reduce dust? To reduce dust? Yeah. Well, then I'm burning more diesel. You know, it's like this, it's nuance. It's it all, something's got to give. But yeah, topsoil is going and we're losing it. We're losing it quick. And that is, uh, think of that as resiliency. That topsoil keeps our soil resilient. And the less that we have, the less resilient that it it is. So we need to add to our list of importance of... of this is a pre- sad pre- conversation. <laughs> no, but I think it like brings awareness. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. We, we it need, definitely does. We need food. We need farms. Yeah. And I think um, we need to, to put some urgency and importance to protecting our, our farms and valuing those totally. people like yourselves that are, are, are farming the land, that are mm-hmm. stewards to the land, that are land defenders or protectors, yeah. however that looks. Absolutely. Um, I think that needs to be something that we we celebrate, those those people that are, are keeping these farms farmed, you know? Mm. I mean, when I started farming, I never knew I was going to be an activist. Mm-hmm. And then a farmer told me, she was like, yeah, well, I mean, farming's activism. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm not going to go, like, you know, marching for farming. And then I was like, wait a minute, the act of me farming is kind of a protest and i was like oh crap (laughs) wow like that's wild you know and so yeah it's important Mm -hmm. it is important it's like it is place-based um ownership and it is place-based care and like we got to take it seriously because it's it's happening quick yeah climate change is happening quick and make those make those decisions to have that early early alarm to get up and take care of the take care of the soil because that's when there's going to be the most moisture on it. Even if your neighbor leaves you a nasty note, you know what? It happens. I love my neighbors, all of them. And, uh, I'm so sorry for my 
neighbors, including you two, I love waking up early. Yeah. And so if you hear my tractor, hey, too. then uh, you can come join me. Well, I was, I was sharing, I was sharing before, before we started recording, like uh, in the summer, I would get up and just like wander mm. around the backside of the building. And from kind of the back area of where we live, we could I'd look right out onto, onto the farm. And I've seen you out there, right, before knowing, mm-hmm. you know, who you were. And I was like, oh, that looks awesome. And there's beautiful wildflowers. We're talking about, like, mm-hmm. biodiversity even within the 30 acres that you have. Totally. There's beautiful wildflowers. You can just see them. They're so tall at the mm-hmm. back. And, I mean, it's just, it was a, a beautiful thing to look at. Mm-hmm. And as the summer progressed, like, I would often go out there and you could see new things growing and this and that and different shades of green, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't monocrop. There was this diversity. And I was just so... It filled me with joy mm. to stand there in, of course, it's a beautiful summer morning, right? And the sun is rising over the field and I'm out there with my morning mushroom coffee or whatever. <laughs> and seeing you out there and just being like, this looks amazing. This looks like regenerative agriculture. Mm. Then Zach, you know, a few days later or whatever was like, dude, there's this farm. It's regenerative <laughs> agriculture. I was like, yeah, I've been looking at it like all, oh, it you so know, happy. all summer. Um, but it, it's amazing. And I think that w- when people kind of hear about it and understand about it, like... I my hope would be that it, it fills them with some sense of joy or you know even pride that this is happening in their neighborhood and it's something that mm. they can they can know about and see about and that it is there's someone behind it that's like choosing maybe a harder slower but better path mm. and like when people learn that I think uh, it's hard not to be like excited about it and want to care about things like totally, soil totally. and you know understand why it's important to hold on to it and make decisions like get up super friggin early so that you can save it right absolutely yeah you know and, what I th- so it is activism it you're is, changing it pe- is. you're changing people's perspective and thinking right I, I love the idea of you sitting having your coffee looking over the <laughs> farm and I can't help but think and ask you a question did you see me singing and dancing in my tractor? Because like constantly I am like always listening to music. It's probably a musical of some kind. Yes. And I am like blaring music. Like I don't, it doesn't matter what time of day I am like singing. Like my sound, my tractor is soundproof. The tractor is loud. Yeah. But like, if you could hear me, you, you would be like stick to farming. Your voice is awful. <laughs> That's amazing. So, anyway, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I heard. I don't know if I heard any. But uh, I'll make sure to stop the tractor next time. Yeah, yeah. Do a few notes for you, you and go. then you'll quickly ask me to continue. <laughs> don't give up your day. The regenerative musical. <laughs> Come to a theater. That's right. soon. But it would be a silent one, though. And so, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and that's my favorite part is you know meeting neighbors and you know people. They see something happening on a farm and they get protective. And I love that. And they say, hey, Daniel, quiet down. You're being too loud or whatever, whatever. And it's the opportunities to meet neighbors, community members, customers, whoever, and educate them and say, hey, we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to do it with really good intention. It's going to take a while. Mm. And we're here to stay. And uh, we're so excited to be here. And like, come in tour learn eat our food and like let's be friends but i'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. and it's uh I'm, I'm i'm a really stubborn activist and so i'm like let's let this is going to take 10 years to build this s- soil and i i can't wait for year 10 to see what this farm looks like from taking 40 years of conventional agriculture eight 0.8 organic matter put a decade of regenerative 
agriculture, care and love and respect and intention. Mm. I can't wait for 10 years. No doubt. Me too. I think this is a a beautiful place to to land this tractor for today's today's podcast. Put that that tractor in park. Put that tractor in park. (laughs) But maybe we can wrap up with a a couple random fire questions. And I know we already have plans to have you back for for a second conversation. So we'll we'll save some of those questions and some of those puns Mm -hmm. for uh, for our next round. So many, mostly mostly puns. Yeah, the the fun episode. Okay, so <laughs> farming has uh, there has been some some Netflix uh, mm. you know docs now. So there's uh, Kiss the Ground. There's the Biggest Little Farm. Mm. Um, Have that you sh- seen that? Um, <laughs> sorry, which which, which one was that about? It's this great doc. <laughs> you have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's about farming. <laughs> so there's kind of been a resurgence of of telling the story of reconnecting with land. Is 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 there um, if someone wants to learn more about this and wants to mm. kind of spike their own feed feed their own soil of of interest? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep this going all day. Are there any docs or movies or resources? that you recommend um i love the ones that you listed out um i don't think there's a bad farming documentary out there i haven't seen one yet um i think any documentary about food and i think that's the kicker is don't just focusing it just on farming Mm -hmm. if you're yeah you know uh cowspiracy is great um different documentaries about the ocean are great like it's not just isolated to farming. Um, go down a rabbit hole, find you know the random videos. Um, again, I'll mention it. Uh, Dan Barber's "The Third Plate" is excellent. The Omnivore's Dilemma is excellent. Um, there's so many books that I love. There's one called "Farming While Black." Uh, it's an excellent book. It teaches you about agriculture, but shows you um, black history in farming. It's amazing. Um, you know, there's just a lot of resources out there. Um, but like, I'm sorry in advance because it's a wormhole and you're going to hopefully mm. just go down it and learn, 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 learn. Amazing. Have you seen, I just watched one recently called Gather by Sanjay Rewa. Have you watched I that? I haven't one? seen that one yet. Oh That's God. on my winter plans. It's on your winter yeah. plans. It's all about food sovereignty cool. and um, our history of agriculture here. And in, in, it's, it's based in the States, but you can kind of, Take the same lens to, to Canada and North America. Mm. Yeah, gather, check that one out. Uh, one thing that, you know, it might be a whole other conversation, but I'm going to, I'm going to go there and we can, we can see what happens. But uh, you <laughs> mentioned, you mentioned you went to Israel and did learn some farming techniques there. And then a couple, a couple things you said throughout the conversation just kind of like peaked and kept coming back. Um, so I've spent some time like in church world and all of this and understanding you know, some of the practices that are like ancient cultural practices. They're not religious practices. They're cultural practices that are tied to Judaism. Mm. And they're still practiced in Israel today, which is kind of like that idea built in of like letting the land lie fallow, Mm. right? And this seven and one, or as you had said, like eight year cycle. Mm. Is that something that you um, like lean into? Not necessarily as like a, a spiritual practice, but is or is farming a spiritual practice for you maybe, but also like are, are some of those lessons of like ancient wisdom, whether it's our indigenous people here or cu- cultures and practices from around the world, mm. like how much should we be drawing from those or how much do you draw from those? I think as a society, as a culture, no matter where we are, we have so much to learn from our ancestors, mm. from people who have been caretakers of the land before us. Um, 
so yes, I'm a not a religious person. I'm a deeply spiritual person, especially when it comes to land. Mm-hmm. Um, I am like, yeah, deeply, deeply land-based as a spirituality, maybe. I don't know if that is correct. But anyway, I feel passionate about the land in a spiritual way. Um, what you're referring to, the seven years off, is called Shemitah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're actually, I think, just leaving that season, that year right now. Um, I think, uh, let's talk like practical um, taking a year off of food production, I don't know is most practical. Um, maybe the Torah said it at one point and it was a really good idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can afford that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, and I afford them financially and feeding people wise. Um, do I love the idea of it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, do I love the idea of integrating that into my beliefs in an everyday system making an eight-year crop rotation can i fit one cover crop into that plan can i fit two cover crops you know um do i believe in leaving it fallow no but i think cover cropping is kind of better yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and so um i think we've we have technology let's use some of it we have knowledge we have access to knowledge now um more at our fingertips i guess um i think we can take so much from ideas um of religions or spirituality and leverage them into better more holistic care practices Mm. for our land now and so do i practice shemitah specifically definitely not Mm -hmm. um though i would love to take a year off yeah Um, (laughs) that's when zach and i will volunteer (laughs) here are the tractor keys (laughs) You can only listen to musicals when you drive it, though. That's <laughs> they true. are preset. Um, but again, do I think you, we can take the idea of that of letting the year of letting the soil rest? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But what about feeding the soil? What about uh, what if you split up your farm into multiple different field blocks, and then so you can put one of them in cover crop every year? So you're just rotating your cover crop field. So I think there's. Um, methods and practices and ideas that we can take from it and kind of twist form and shape it into a way that makes sense for us. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, yeah. I love it. And I just remember like I reading, I just pulled it up here too. Cause one of the things that really stood out for me, um, in understanding that kind of like baked in principle mm. of like, get uh, know the land mm. and let the land rest. And, you know, we think about like taking a year off, and how that isn't good for economy and like how do you eat like you had said how mm. do you even feed people if you're not growing food mm. i love the line like it's tied to this idea that you have that's like um community-based and looking mm. after people uh from from the torah from the book of exodus you may plant your land and, and gather its crops but during the seventh year you must leave it and withdraw it therefore the needy among you will then be able to gather and eat just as you do and whatever is left over will be eaten by animals. So even well, in that, that in that Hilarious. sense of like resting the <laughs> land, you're also like looking after people, which when I was, I was like, I remember there's this line somewhere and I was just able to find it. And like, it's so cool that wow. in, in like you embody that essence mm. of like taking care of the land, taking care of yourself, taking care of others in terms of the economic side of it, but also like wanting to take care of the community. You talked about the food you donated mm. and like, it just resonates on, on so many levels of like, I think that you have this kind of beautiful spiritual connectedness mm. to the land, to your community. And like, you wanted to see that and, and foster that and like, yeah, allow that to, to grow. 
Did I just ruin it? It was like the most beautiful things you were just saying to me, and I was getting emotional, and then you topped it with a really great pun. (laughs) Dad's got a pun, but but in all in in all in all seriousness, like that's you know that that uh, you're creating that in this community, and and I'm deeply grateful for it, and I think it's super super important work that you're doing. Thank you. You know, I've when I started this uh, program, I was teaching a handful of in in or last handful of years. My biggest goal was community building. Mm. And it, and we started with nothing, zero students. And, but my goal was just like being unapologetic about building community. And five years later now, of what has happened there in this farm school, the Richmond Farm School, is this like thriving, diverse community. And I see the relationships and the dynamics and the trust and the support and the respect and I, it gets me like so um, emotional because I'm like, wow, community, connection, that's what it's all about. And like you put people in the place, you put high expectations onto people saying, no, no, let's do better. Let's do good here. Let's do, uh, let's strive to be better people. Let's want the best for each other. Let's build each other up and putting those expectations onto people and see what happens. And I've been ruthless about it for years. And, you know, I'm stepping away from this teaching role now. And people have asked me saying, well, Daniel, like, what's going to happen to the community aspect? And I said to them, like, last week, I was like, no, 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 you guys have got this now. Like, this is your community space. This is like, like, and no one can ever touch that. And so coming to this new farm, and we've hosted two markets on, on site. And it's, I feel like a like an uh like an evil like you know rubbing my hands together like ha 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 my plan's coming and i see all these people who don't know us yet and we don't know them and i'm thinking wow like you guys don't know what's coming for you because like we're about to build a community here and we're about to be like a community center and it's going to be based around food it's going to be based around agriculture it's going to be based around like love trust respect and like my name's Daniel. I farm this land. Here's my number. If you have questions, call me, you know, and like, let's build it around community. And it's, uh, you know, I often call myself an organic farmer, call myself a regenerative farmer. Maybe it's just a farmer. Maybe I'm just a carrot grower, whatever. <laughs> but I call myself a community-based farmer first because I'm growing food with my com- community and for them. And it's just, uh, it's the most important thing to me, like hands down. And the soil too, and lots of puns. Dude, I'm so excited. Yeah, and free volunteers like you too. <laughs> Dude, we're, <excited. laughs> we're strong. We're ready. <laughs> Is that you flexing, Zach? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> flexing wow. right now. Being stronger. He's ready. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Your kids can come. They've got tiny hands. Great for planting. Totally. Things. Oh, they would love it. Great. Yeah. Dude, so. I feel like. Um, Daniel kind of answered our closing question, Absolutely. but do you want to do you want to do you want to bring it up anyways and see where it goes? Well, yeah, I think I think in many ways you you did, but if there's anything left unsaid, now's the time. I mean, Zach, Zach and I um, created this podcast and in many ways wanted to use it as an excuse to have mm-hmm. conversations like these with incredible people who are doing just really interesting, cool, or important things mm-hmm. in the world, which all of the above, and. Um, we called it a little more good because mm. that's like what we want to be about right in our own lives. And certainly through the medium of this podcast is just putting out content and conversations that inspire mm. people 
to to live into that, whatever it means for them. And so we always like to ask our guests, like, what does that mean for you? Mm. A little more good. Can I just copy and paste what I said earlier? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think it's like, you know, we can do better. Yeah. You know, we can do better with how we uh, interact with the land, with our neighbors, with the people around us, uh, with how we um, engage with and um, handle reconciliation with indigenous communities. Like we can do better. We can do better with how we treat people, with how we treat ourselves. And I think there's nothing wrong with striving to do better and being grateful for what we've done. Um, but and, and appreciating that and celebrating those wins and you know, feeling good and having those moments to celebrate, but like we can do better. Like Mm -hmm. I want my soil to be better. Um, and there's no finish line. There's no goal. You know, there's no, uh, Oh wow. My soil's perfect now. Um, I'll always have weeds. (laughs) It always got like a little bit muddy in the winter. It always get probably a little bit too dry. And so I think, uh, we can do better. And for me, and I think this is like my last thing that I want to hit home on is I think eating organic, eating regenerative food, eating local food, isn't necessarily doing better. It's feeding your family. It's like sitting around the dinner table. It's uh, chatting with folks. It's about food. It's relating around food. Like I'm not the best because I eat organic food. Um, I don't think I'm the best. (laughs) I think it's just like, that's not our goal. The goal is just to like bring people together. And if you're going to whatever food source that you, that is going to make sense economically, it's like, that's fantastic. You're feeding people, you're feeding your children, you're feeding your parents. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. That is doing better. So. Love Beautiful. It. Love it. Well, thank you, Daniel. I'm so, so excited about Athiana Farms about you. what you're creating in this community, what you're building, what you're growing. Um, I feel like we couldn't be luckier to have this farm in the corner that we just happened to co-inhabit. Yeah, uh, grateful for you, grateful for what you're you're creating, and excited for for these next ten years. Can't wait. I mean, don't get me wrong. I just cringed at thinking of ten more years of back. back breaking work but like i'm so excited the volunteers are gonna gonna roll in um no guys thank you so much i you know love these conversations i love talking with passionate people and uh i think you you guys were fantastic so thank you and i can't wait for your volunteer hours to be begin yeah let's do it all right thanks daniel thank you guys I just want to eat some delicious vegetables right now. Yeah. Oh, man. I just want to be a farmer. You know? I know. Honestly. Get my hands dirty with that rich, good soil. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of jokingly, non-jokingly talked about like volunteering at the farm. And I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah. Like, you know, there's not a lot of extra capacity. <laughs> I but I feel like I would I would give things up that matter to me to like kind of get in there and, and help out when I can, you know, to just feel that connection. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's kind of that, you know, romanticized thing. Yes. But, um, I feel like it's something that you would just fall in love with. How many people do you think fantasize, have that dream of like being a hobby farmer or growing their own produce? Yeah. That's common or is it just, uh, 
I feel like it's pretty common. Yeah. You know, even even here, like living in this kind of like shared space comp- apartment, you know, townhouse complex building, like there are lots of people with the balcony gardens or yeah. there's some cool, like we have a mini community plot out back and like people plant stuff and they grow stuff. And I, I feel like, you know, in small scale, it's easy to manage, but also there's that desire of like, well, what if I could just grow enough food for me and, you know, my neighbors or whatever? Yeah, I think more people would, would probably say, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Connects, it connects us to everything that matters. Our food, the the world, the cycles of nature, like here's, one another. Here's a random thought before we wrap things up. We've all got these green spaces, not all of us, but, you know, there's there's green space everywhere, a lot of grass. There's a lot of grass. Yeah. Front yards, you know, in city spaces, there's a lot of grass. What if, what if some of that was repurposed to functional spaces for, mm-hmm. you know, flowers for... For bees, for pollinators, you know, maybe some fruit or some veggies instead of all this grass that yeah. we mow every couple of days or every week, you know? Yeah, with our stinky two stroke motors. Yeah, let's yeah. rewild those lawns. Um, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If yeah. you made it this far, uh, you know, we always appreciate any reviews, likes, follows on uh, wherever you may be listening to this podcast Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, a like, a follow, a review goes a far way in helping us spread a message, share it with a friend, neighbor, uh, you know, classmate, whatever that might be. We appreciate all the shares, likes, and love. And uh, we'll see y'all next week, same time, same place. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.